This episode is brought to you by FX's The Veil, starring Elizabeth Moss. FX's The Veil is an international spy thriller that follows two women as they play a deadly game of truth and lies on the road from Istanbul to Paris and London. One woman has a secret, and the other has a mission to reveal it before thousands of lives are lost. FX's The Veil, now streaming, only on Hulu. Welcome to the New Books Network. Welcome to the New Books Network. I'm Roberto Mazza, the host of the Jerusalem Unplugged podcast, and today, for the Middle Eastern Studies series, my guest is Assistant Professor at Unimore, Università di Modena e Reggio Emilia in Italy, Maria Chiara Rioli. Maria Chiara Rioli is the author of A Liminal Church, Refugees, Conversions, and Latin Diocese of Jerusalem, 1946-1956, published by Brill in 2020. And I just want to mention the fact that uh, most of the volume is available available, uh, as open access, and therefore there will be a link posted with a description of the book. First of all, Maria Chiara, welcome. Thank you. Thank you, Roberto. Thank you very much for this invitation. I'm very delighted to talk with you today. And thank you to all those listening to this conversation. Amongst the massive amount of books dedicated to Jerusalem, not many are in fact dedicated to the history of the Latin Patriarchate. Certainly some are dedicated to the history of the Latin Church in the medieval times and the Crusader era. But not much has been written about the 20th century. So, first of all, can you give us a little bit of a background about yourself and how was this project conceived and developed? Sure. I'm a historian. Um, I was trained in the universities of Bologna in Italy and Pisa, uh, Paris in France, Fordham in New York. They had postdoctoral fellowships in the university um, uh, in uh, in the Middle East, in Jerusalem, uh, and in uh, in the United States. And um, a liminal church began its path actually in 2009, 2010. At that time, I was not... Um, a scholar. I was a freelance journalist. I arrived in Jerusalem with an Italian program of uh, civil service for conscientious objectors at the Alternative Information Center. The Alternative Information Center was at that time a Palestinian-Israeli uh, NGO uh, engaging uh, in dissemination and information political advocacy on the Israeli-Palestinian uh, conflict and the Israeli occupation. But the daily reality that uh, I lived impressed me profoundly and I felt that the only way uh, was to try to give further uh, historical complexity to what I experienced. And before leaving um, for Palestine and Israel, I had a doctoral project on the history of the Catholic Church in South Africa during the apartheid. And when I arrived to Palestine and Israel, Palestinian Christian leaders had just signed a Palestine Kairos document referring to the South African Kairos document. I translated this document and I soon realized that the Jerusalem church was far more complex than this document, also this reality. And I decided to devote my PhD uh, to the study of this community in the 1940s and 1950s. So uh, this is the background of uh, the project of the book that developed um, in the decade, um, in the following decade, and Liminal Church actually was meant to be published in 2019, 
but in March of 2019, Pope Francis announced the opening of the Pius XII archives. I decided to explore some of the new archives to include them in the manuscript of the book that was the deep revision of my PhD dissertation, and I published the book in 2020. We will talk about the archives uh, later with plenty of details because uh, I must also mention that this book is part of a, a series uh, which is connected with the Open Jerusalem project, which is uh, an ERC-funded project dedicated to mapping uh, archives in Jerusalem and about Jerusalem around the world. But first, since the book is dedicated to the Latin Patriarchate of Jerusalem, can you give us a short history, particularly of a modern Latin Patriarchate in how uh, sort of a play the role in its local and broader context. Yes, the Latin Patriarchate was re-established after the Crusader period in 1847 by Pius IX. Um, the Pope at that time nominated Giuseppe Valerga as the first Patriarch in the contemporary history of the Jerusalem Diocese. Uh, the Jerusalem Diocese extended to uh, Palestine and Transjordan and to, to Cyprus, uh, and it was mainly composed by Arab faithful and clergy, but also by a, com a component of, uh, let's say, Western clergy uh, from all around the world. Jerusalem is a global city, so it's also a global diocese. Uh, in the decade of my study, 1946, 50, 1956, the Jerusalem Diocese, the Latin one, was split between uh, Israel, Jordan, Egypt, and Cyprus, and became a laboratory of different uh, and sometimes divergent conceptions and tensions. Now, I'm interested in something about uh, the title of the book. You're talking about... Uh, the Latin Patriarchate as a liminal church. So I was wondering if you can tell us a little bit more about what does it mean to be a liminal church in Jerusalem for the Latin Patriarchate? Yeah, it means to, to be um, across different borders, communities, and actors. The subtitle of the book that you mentioned is Refugees, Conversions, and the Latin Diocese. So refugees and converts are liminal actors that moves across, move across communities and societies and identities also with uh, cultural borrowings, social uh, differentiation and transformations. And it's also not only uh, a liminal uh, institution, but it's also a liminal history itself that I would like to propose. Uh, it's a historical perspective that tries to uh, be capable of accommodating diverse histories and developments within the same liminal community. And this refers to contrapuntal history uh, that aims to retrace diverse plot threads following the itineraries of diverse actors composing a social reality animated by tensions, dialectics, and contradictions. Uh, for this theorization, of course, the connection between contrapuntal reading and liminality, the contribution by uh, Edouard Savid is seminal, and uh, the application to uh, social and religious history, um, the Palestinian social and religious history, particularly in the, in the War for Palestine period, that's what I try to, to do in my book. Now, let's uh, talk about... Um the question of sources and methodology. As I said earlier, we will certainly spend some time talking about uh, you know, sources in general, 
connected to the question of uh, uh, Open Jerusalem project, which sort of discovered uh, archives and archival material and eventually published that through a specific website. But I, I want to focus on, on your book in particular. And so I was wondering, what are the sources used and what was your methodological approach um, looking at the church? And lastly, why the 1946-1956 periodizations, which is, a, I would say, slightly unusual when looking at Palestine and the history of Palestine and Israel in general. So I found it fascinating, and I was curious about this particular uh, periodization. Yes, in terms of sources, I tried to refer to a wide, broad, of, I mean, wide range of sources, um, overlapping and cross-referencing these sources, um, among them, uh, I refer to ecclesiastical, diplomatic, uh, private papers, correspondences, um, petitions, uh, family papers, uh, forms of collective, political, economic, religious um, agency. Uh, my aim actually was to try to unfold uh, um, different forms of agency, in this, particularly, for, for example, concerning Palestinian refugees. And the analysis of these sources uh, can actually open a, a new phase of historiography from below on the Palestinian refugees and on other uh, actors. Um, so my contribution aims to analyze the variety of actions that matured within the late Church of Jerusalem in the unusual um, periodization that you were mentioning, actually it's a decade marked by the resumption of the discussion concerning the partition of Palestine after the Second World War, the Palestine War in 1947-1949 with the seismic year of 1948, uh, the Jordanian annexation of the West Bank, the consolidation of the Jordanian Kingdom, and uh, up to the um, Suez Crisis in 1956. Uh, in this changing scenario, the Latin Patriarchate of Jerusalem engage, was engaged uh, and involved in multiple and uh, sometimes contrasting pastoral initiatives. And I decided to focus on the specific events uh, because also um, to, to analyze the history of, the, of these dioceses. It's particularly relevant to approach a new way to conceive social history of Palestine and Israel in this um, in this tragic and uh, changing uh, scenario. I want to expand a little bit about the question of sources, asking you about the question of uh, a city divided. Given that in 1948 Jerusalem was divided in two, essentially sort of the western part under Israeli rule and the eastern part, which also includes the old city, and therefore the Latin patriarchy itself uh, under Jordanian rule. I was just wondering if you can give us a sense of the difficulties of merging material that had been divided at some point uh, uh, in 1948. Yes, so um, there are um, actually um, divided archives. So um, the the Jordanian period of Jerusalem history, uh, it's still underexplored. Of course, there are seminal studies in this field uh, by different authors, uh, like Kimberly Katz and other authors, but um, still, this period is not well... Uh, I mean, the archives itself, it's a problem in terms of uh, the possibility of uh, historical appraisal. But 
looking closer, there are archives all around the world dealing with uh, uh, this period. And this is why also uh, the perspective of, of religious communities that actually are composed by women, men, children, um, goes be- whose life go beyond religious identities can contribute to um, provide new sources, narratives and arguments to analyze this phase and periods. Um, for the Jordanian institutions, so there is a problem in terms of access to the Jordanian archives, let's say. Uh, in this sense, the possibility to uh, have access to uh, normally labeled ecclesiastical archives is very relevant because they were active, I mean, and they worked in the um, West Bank and in Transjordan. So um, this was a way to overcome the difficulty of uh, getting access to the Jordanian Kingdom archives. Um, so, of course, uh, this is very important that at the same time, new sources are coming, uh, I mean, are opening for uh, scholars. The archives, the Jerusalem municipality for the 1948-1967 period uh, uh, is now open to um, researchers and to the possibility of new research and so there's a, a, a new interest in this phase, and also uh, this phase as uh, an age of also as possible of possibilities, not only an age of possibilities concluded. Uh, maybe we will explore that later, but it's a particular interest period. Not not mm, it's of course marked by uh, the Nakba, and uh, it goes until the Naksa. But there is something between that, and uh, analyzing. Um, these kind of records helps us in uh, understanding this complexity. Now, you, you introduced already a couple of questions uh, that are going to be part of this interview and I'm basically focusing on uh, the, the first part of your book. And, and I want to mention here that the book is divided essentially in two parts, one exploring sort of the question of refugees and the role of the Latin patriarchate and the Latin mm-hmm. church, and then the second part, which is focusing on a number of different uh, uh, areas which we will talk about later. So let me start talking about 1948. 1948 is a key year in the history of Israel and Palestine. It marks the beginning of and sort of a, the birth of the of state of Israel, but also the beginning of the plight of the Palestinians through the Palestinian refugee issues and, and of course, also the, the division of the land. Now, I was wondering what does the history of the Latin patriarchate, what does your work help us to understand about this very controversial period in both Palestine and Israel? I try to follow different strands to uh, unpack the evolution of political, social, religious behaviors uh, during and since the 1947-1949 war, uh, also following the liturgies popular and ordinary forms of worship, pity, and opening up perspective capable of hybridizing religious, political, social histories. Uh, This helps to um, unveil in some way the social history of 1948. We usually uh, deal with uh, um, works concerning uh, the military history of 1948, or the history of Palestinian refugees, but 
also mainly through uh, military records. On the contrary, to, to deal with uh, um, other kinds of institutions and sources produced by these institutions or received by these institutions, these allow to have a much more complex um, picture of uh, these years and to go beyond the sectarian and uh, uh, ideological um, appraisal of this controversial period. So to retrace the complexity of this phase, um, to go into details of the personal itineraries of Palestinian refugees, um, I was um, actually... um, one of the most uh, important uh, uh, results of my work for me was uh, being contacted by Palestinian refugees that found relatives in my book, in my articles, because following this strength is some way impossible through uh, other archives, especially due to the closure of some um, essential archives like the archives of Arwa and other institutions. So um, that's why um, archives that are usually uh, considered as sectarian, uh, in reality, they, they reveal the potentiality of not at all sectarian um, history. I found it fascinating that actually you had uh, people getting in touch with you. And that, that shows the fact that uh, academic research is not just uh, for scholars, but it has an impact on uh, general public audience, particularly they're interested in trying to find out more, as in this particular case, about their own uh, history. And that brings me to the question of of the Palestinian refugees, which you looked through the lenses of the Latin church. And I was wondering, how how did the patriarchate and Catholics in general experience this period? And perhaps you can tell us a little bit more about who are the Catholics in Palestine by 1948. Yes, Palestinian Catholics were among the Palestinians who were expelled by their villages, cities, homes. Uh, And at the same time, they were among those who remained or were able to uh, return uh, in the um, immediate years after 1948. Uh, And there there were also those who were involved in humanitarian um, assistance and relief to refugees. So they, they are part of different strands of the Palestinian society um, in the middle uh, bourgeoisie, uh, but also in, in other um, sectors and uh, um, yeah, parts of the Palestinian society. Um, it's important to note that after, uh, during and after actually um, the the, the battles, uh, the, the fightings, uh, um, one of the first priorities of the Latin Patriarchate was securing aid uh, for the humanitarian um, emergency, uh, but also uh, to intervene politically on behalf of Catholic refugees uh, to um, secure the release of confiscated property, the return to villages, uh, and also uh, the humanitarian assistance through the foundation uh, of the Pontifical Mission for Palestine and by the mediation of the local and central authorities of the church, so both in Jerusalem and in Rome. And uh, this action put, uh, put the church in relation with international actors, 
the Red Cross, the United Nations Relief and Works Agency for Palestine, for Palestine refugees in the Near East, religious institutions, and also originated uh, conflicts on the distribution of aid, on the ideas and strategies of humanitarian assistance. And there is also a micro history of micro story um, of these uh, events and uh, um, phenomena. And it's linked to what you were mentioning uh, about uh, the impact of this history on uh, people nowadays. Uh, for example, through this um, history, uh, people were able to find, for example, the number of the rooms where they were um, hosted in uh, hospices or other ecclesiastical institutions in 1948 and after, because some convents, monasteries, and uh, church institutions opened their doors to refugees, and in a, in a very problematic way also, because this generated conflict in the years after 1948. Uh, for example, for, for Franciscan institutions wanted to... to um, I mean, to um, have back pilgrims and to um, to have other destinations for the Palestinian refugees. And so there, I, I found the petitions of Palestinian refugees hosted, for example, in the Casanova in Jerusalem with the, num- the name of the refugees and the number of the rooms against the friars. So it's a, uh, it's complicated uh, mm, relationship, so it's not at all uh, um, easy to uh, unpack and to, to deal. Uh, and this shows also the interest of humanitarian um, and humanitarianism and the history of humanitarianism in the Palestinian, um, dealing with the Palestinian refugee issues, uh, complicated by the ecclesiastical actors. Well, definitely 1948 is, a, is a, not just a very controversial uh, year and period of time, but also a complex one to analyze. And as many other scholars have mentioned, there's also uh, a gap in the sources available, one that you actually filled partially, but there's still a lot of material out there that is not available, whether it's diary memoirs, confiscated material by the various authorities, and certainly official documents that are not yet available. So let's move to the post-1948, which also corresponds very much to the second part of your book. And here there are at least three areas that I would like to explore with you. Now, the first one is in relation to the creation of the Association of St. James, which in other words is the Hebrew-speaking church in Israel. Can you tell us the history of this institution and actually also how does it fit into the larger context of the Latin church in uh, Israel-Palestine? Yes, this is one of the chapters that encountered much attention and interest in the book, uh, probably because it crosses and challenges uh, assumptions about religious, cultural, and political identities. Uh, This community that you were mentioning, the uh, Association of St. James, that now is uh, known as the Hebrew-speaking church uh, vicariate in uh, Israel, uh, was established in the early 1950s by a group of religious and lay men and women, mainly with uh, Jewish origins converted to Christianity, and particularly to Catholicism, um, who aimed at devoting uh, a new form of preaching and apostolate to the Jews 
within the new state of Israel and within a church mainly composed by Arab faithful and clergy. And this chapter of the book explores the first years of meetings, knowledge production and circulation about new possible relations among Catholics and Jews. And it's very controversial also because uh, these founders uh, perceived themselves in some way as pioneering figures. Uh, they tried to build up a Christian kibbutz. They had close links with the Israeli politicians and with Jewish and Christian organizations in Europe and the United States. They promoted relations. They tried to promote relations between the Holy See and Israel, uh, especially in the decades, uh, in the following decades, so in the sixties and uh, later. And uh, they were also involved. Uh, this is another phase of the history of this community uh, in Israeli-Palestinian peace movement. But at the same time, some of them um, developed a, a sort of a Catholic. Uh, Philo or Catholic Zionism. So it's a very complicated uh, community, but this is also part of the, its interest. Uh, and the records and the archives of this community are um, not only related to the archives of themselves, of the community, but you can find sources of this history uh, in the Vatican archives, but in, also in the Israel State archives and in multiple Jewish organization archives uh, in the United States and in Europe and in other contexts. So it's really connected history and uh, in some way global history. I'm aware of the fact that it's not really part of your book, but I was wondering if you can also give us a sense of the trajectory of this Hebrew-speaking church. In other words, what happened after uh, so 1956, after the period that you're discussing, uh, what is the relevance of the, uh, of the Association of St. James in Israel uh, currently? Yes, so in, during the 60s, they played a role uh, in the, the Second Vatican Council. Uh, some members were active in uh, drafting uh, documents at the Vatican, and these uh, created also problems and divisions and conflicts with the Jerusalem Church. Um, they were also um, at the center, actually, of the Israeli political debate and juridical and the public opinion debate, because one of the members... Um, was uh, one of the, um, I mean, was the protagonist of the brother uh, Daniel Rufaisen case, uh, which is the symbol of the, who is the Jew um, question and debate in Israel. Uh, then they were um, active. I was mentioning the Israeli-Palestinian peace movement because one of the founders of the community, Father Bruno Sar, a Dominican uh, monk, was the founder of the Neve Shalom village, which exists still today. Uh, and during the Second Intifada, um, some of the members uh, criticized the attitude of other members uh, supporting uh, um, Israeli um, the Israeli government, and so they were. Um, uh, this was another uh, very difficult um, passage of the history of the community. But nowadays, the history of the community is more linked to um, different forms of migration to Israel. So it's uh, more related to uh, 
Jewish, to, to, sorry, Hebrew-speaking people. So that's why the the, the, the name of the Bikeret changed. And this reflects also the uh, growing complexity of Israeli society and uh, also the interest itself of the community bringing together um, Asian um, faithful within, for example, uh, for, for example, within uh, a um, historically uh, Arab community uh, within the Latin Patriarchate. This is a fascinating story indeed. Now, the second area I would like to explore is about the relationship between Rome and Jerusalem, and particularly the question of the holy places, because obviously when we talk about uh, Christian institutions in Jerusalem and in Palestine, holy places are a, a key feature. And so I was wondering if you can tell us a little bit more about uh, this particular area that you explored in your book. Yes, so this is a subject that you already um, approached. It uh, was already, I mean, um, it's the issue of uh, the holy places is central in the historiography of Jerusalem. But what I tried to, um, to do was not to limit the research on the issue of holy places, the intervention of the uh, holy see and the Vatican uh, in the debate on, Palestine, on, um, on the future of Palestine and the assets of holy places. But to go beyond that, uh, especially trying to explore uh, rituals, liturgies, devotional practices uh, that are around these holy places and the role they played in the war for Palestine and its aftermath. Uh, so, for example, it was not uh, known, it was un unexplored that uh, in 1948 the Catholic Church organized rituals of consecrations during the war or, for example, that the construction of the Basilica of the Annunciation in Nazareth was conceived also as an anti-communist uh, tool by the Church in the 50s in Nazareth and in Galilee. Uh, this is, I think, a very important and promising field, field of study. Uh, other authors are working on that, on the rituals in the, um, in the mandate period, and also the 1940s and 1950s are relevant in this sense. This is another key to um, unpack the relationship with the, um, the holy places and, the, in some way, the invention of holy places or the um, appropriation uh, of the holy places after 1948. The last area of the second part of your book that I would like to uh, discuss with you is a post-1956 era. And, and I found this particular part, uh, you know, complex because it, it's taking into account uh, two uh, events that are occurring in different places. And one is the uh, Second Vatican Council, and the other one is the war of 1967. So I was wondering if you can tell us a little bit more about both of them in relation to the Latin Patriarchate, and also if perhaps there is a, any connection between the two, and if, if any, how the two have interacted with each other. Yes, of course, these are crucial events for the Catholic communities in the Middle East, and specifically in uh, Israel-Palestine. The Second Vatican Council, 1962-1965, uh, uh, these uh, councils see some members of the Jerusalem Church involved in uh, um, opposite positions. 
I was mentioning that some members of the St. James community uh, contributed to the drafting of the Declaration Nostra Etate, while some leaders in Jerusalem opposed, uh, I mean, were against the opening of a new attitude to Judaism, to the Jews, uh, fearing for the political consequences in the Middle East. Uh, the June 67, uh, 1967 war uh, is, of course, after 1948, a seismic and a shadow year, as was defined by scholars like uh, Bishara Dumani and Alex Winder, uh, and with the Israeli occupation of East Jerusalem, the West Bank, Gaza, uh, the Sinai region and the Golan Heights. And this is the Naqsa, originating a second wave of uh, Palestinian refugees. And the reaction after these events resumes in some way the divisions that occurred during the Second Vatican Council, again with different stances within the Patriarchate um, toward the new reality on the ground. In June uh, 1967, we see uh, members of the St. James community celebrating what was called uh, by them as the reunification of Jerusalem, while other members uh, are dealing with the refugees and with the tragedy of uh, the consequences of um, the Israeli occupation of the territories. So um, these are moments that are unified by uh, momentous events and the transformations and also by um, different approaches uh, uh, to the reality on the ground. I was wondering you know, coming to the end of your book, but also, uh, I just want to remind listeners that I have questions then about, uh, again, the archives, which we'll discuss later. If you have to think about conclusion about your work, are there any specific conclusion that you want to highlight in relation particularly to the Latin Patriarchal Church, the question of refugees, the question of conversions, in the specific period of time under review, and perhaps expanding, also looking at uh, later uh, periods? Uh, yes, I think that um, actually one of um, the importance of these kind of uh, approaches is the possibility to, to deal with the, the lack of social history for this period. And so uh, this is why... Um, also the importance for me to go beyond simply 1948. This is why I decided to extend the periodization of my book. Um, I know that in some way the book could have been uh, completed after chapter four, um, limiting my study to um, the end of 1940s. Uh, but I think it's important to to deal with 1948, uh, trying to uh, analyze its aftermath and uh, following actors uh, whose lives actually continue after 1948 is a way to, to do that, especially going beyond uh, narratives who are mainly based on military records. I highlighted this point at the beginning of our conversation, Roberto, but I highlighted now uh, as well, because I, I really think that uh, despite uh, the lack of sources, the, the fact that archives uh, were looted and confiscated, as, as you were uh, describing, there are still uh, possibilities of a 
approaching this uh, history uh, and to reapproach the protagonists uh, of these uh, phases through unknown uh, records, archives, and narratives too, because of course uh, um, the power of archive uh, can be also uh, a disruptive power, uh, a, a conquest power, a power of occupation. So to um, to to see uh, all the possibilities of uh, the potentialities of archives. It's relevant when dealing with 1948. It's it's crucial for for lives for and also for um, reclaiming rights, which is also something that it's uh, um, itself linked to uh, the action of archiving. You just mentioned a key word, reclaiming archives, which is uh, part of your work, part of the work of other scholars, and I can think of it briefly, Minsan Lemire, Mesna Cato, and others. And so I was wondering if you can actually place your book within the larger context of this uh, uh, ERC-funded project uh, that was Open Jerusalem. Yes, Open Jerusalem was and still is uh, a project uh, aiming at uh, uh, unlocking archives uh, for the period of um, the periodization is 1940, uh, 1942 uh, up to 19, uh, um, sorry, from 1840 to 1940. Um, and now, um, as you were saying, the project was founded by the European Research Council, the ERC until uh, 2019, and now we are continuing this work, uh, pushing up its periodization. So this is why my book uh, was published, part of this, uh, part of the Open Jerusalem book series with Brill, uh, and other books will uh, uh, come out uh, on, the, um, on 1967 and um, the period after uh, 1940s. Um, Open Jerusalem was part of a larger historiographical uh, turn that you contributed to, that you contribute to, Roberto, um, determined by new studies on late Ottoman and Mandate Palestine and the history of Christian communities in Palestine uh, also within uh, this turn has attracted new interest. And this was... um, part of the interest of, uh, in uh, unlocking, analyzing, preserving, digitizing, publishing archives. Uh, and this is why also um, it's important to continue to, um, to apply uh, all the important uh, work done on the late Ottoman and Mandate period to 1948, to 1967 and other um, years and phases of Palestinian-Israeli history. Um, so this helps to go beyond a, a historiography uh, oriented to, more oriented to military campaigns, confessional conflicts, and mobilizing sources and archives that are pre- previously selected and used according to ideological goals. Um, and this is part of the importance, the importance to consider the archives as active and interactive tools and um, reflecting not only the intention to narrate the past, but also to consider the future. I want to ask you a couple more questions about your work. You already mentioned uh, some of the criticism that you have received, but also some of the praises. And I was wondering if among uh, the criticism, if there's anything 
that you want to address? Any comments that you received and you feel like, you know, this could be a good uh, uh, tool to actually address that criticism? Uh, so criticism is um, crucial for me because uh, in this moment of my academic path, of course, th- this was my first monography. So it's uh, every kind of criticism is uh, really relevant to me. Um, I-, I received um, in some way uh, opposing forms of criticism. Some authors um, uh, highlighted that uh, the, um, the book um, could have been uh, limited to uh, the end of 1940s and I tried to um, explain why I, I made this choice um, during our conversation, Roberto, while others uh, wrote that I could have uh, extended um, the narrative to other aspects. So this is, of course, important for other uh, works that I'm uh, um, and other publications I'm working on. Um, I'm writing a book about the history of the um, uh, the St. James community, but also I'm writing, uh, I'm starting to conceive a book um, on the history of disability in uh, uh, Palestine, Israel, and the humanitarian uh, um, uh, action. Uh, towards and about um, disability and uh, people with disability uh, in uh, in Palestine before uh, 1948 and after. So to um, to cross migration history, humanitarianism, history of humanitarianism, history of um, of, the, of the churches uh, in um, Palestine, Israel uh, is a is a key for me to continue my work. And uh, in this sense, um, it's important also to to receive criticism on that. Um, so journals more uh, devoted to um, ecclesiastical history, history um, highlighted uh, uh, the importance of the book um, on cer- certain aspects, while uh, authors. Um, more attentive to uh, uh, social history and other um, uh, disciplines, uh, focus on other uh, elements of the book. And uh, uh, this is for me very important because um, the possibility to have open readings and to have also different forms of reading, uh, um, it's crucial. And so not to limit uh, my work to, uh, not at all, to limit to um, uh, a label that in some way I refuse, ecclesiastical history, and I, that I contrast. I, I try to mobilize resources and records and archives from uh, these traditionally considered ecclesiastical sources to go beyond that. And uh, this is a way for me to... Um, also to, to, to deal with uh, uh, eventual future um, um, elements raised in reviews or uh, in public debates. If anything about your book, uh, it would be very difficult to label it. It certainly is ecclesiastical history to a point, but it's also Middle Eastern history, given the, the broader context, and it's also social history, as you mentioned, and history of the archives, and probably even more. So I, I, I would agree with you that uh, 
it would be not enough to just label your work as ecclesiastical history. I have one last question. It's very much about uh, your book. Is there anything that I didn't ask about the various chapters, but that you feel like you want to highlight in making it a very important point? Your questions were uh, highly stimulating, Roberto. So I think you touched um, all the relevant points of my book. Um, I would like to highlight the importance of, um, not, not the importance, I mean, I hope to, to continue to work on some strengths of this, uh, this work, particularly on the petition, uh, the petitions of Palestinian refugees. And uh, because I found several documents um, and collections uh, uh, dealing with uh, uh, the requests and the forms of agency of Palestinian refugees uh, when appealing to um, Catholic uh, authorities, but not only Catholic authorities, when dealing to ORWA and uh, other institutions. Um, so the construction of the uh, subjectivity of Palestinian refugees, uh, this is, I hope, one of the contributions of the book. And uh, you were mentioning archival history, which is something that I think it's uh, always more important to think about in when working on uh, Palestine Israel. And it, it's not only me, of course, uh, the, there are crucial contributions that are continuing uh, uh, being published also in uh, 2022 on that, uh, highlighting the point that uh, um, archives are not only the products of states or communities uh, and their machines, and administrations, but they are really um, epistemological experiments. And uh, this transit space of archives between uh, memory and desire, and uh, between the past and its narration, uh, this is uh, something that I try to explore uh, in my book and something that I want to continue to explore. And uh, this archival space in the Palestinian context, uh, which is, of course, uh, tragically a dysphoric and a, a colonized context uh, may uh, reveal um, counter-narrative and uh, glimpses of um, untold stories and uh, appraisals. And uh, this is what I hope to um, contribute with my book and with other publica publications that I'm uh, currently publishing. This was Maria Chiara Rioli, assistant professor at Unimore, University of Modern and Reggio Emilia in Italy, and author of Eliminal Church, Refugees, Conversions, and the Latin Diocese of Jerusalem, 1946-1956, published by Brill in 2020, and also available as uh, open access online. Maria Chiara, thank you so much. Thank you, Roberto. Thank you so much. <laughs>